0: Hello, everybody. Josh here. Welcome back to Deadset Podcasting. Today, I'm joined by a really incredible guest, Kristen Meinzer. Now, if I listed off all of Kristen's accomplishments in podcasting and also public radio, we'd probably be here for even longer than the interview itself. So I'll just give you some of the highlights and then we'll jump in with Kristen. Kristen's done work with Time Magazine, with Vice, with the Oprah Magazine, The Guardian, and literally dozens of other prominent publications. She's also been showcased on NPR's The Big Listen and NPR's All Things Considered. And just to top all of that off, she was named by the Washington Post one of the 22 most influential women in podcasting. It's just another way that podcasting's great, that you get to meet these fantastic people that you may never get to speak to or know about if it wasn't for the medium. So this is Kristen Meinzer, author of So You Want to Start a Podcast and also co-author of the new book How to Be Fine based on her podcast. I'm very excited to share this one hopefully you can tell that even in my low energy Australian way and just one last thing if you do want to support the show whether that's to share the show or rate and review the show or even buy the show a few coffees and keep this pirate ship afloating as I like to say you can head to slash support okay let's do it. You're listening to Deadset Podcasting with your host, Josh Liston. This is a show dedicated to podcasting in Australia, New Zealand, and Southeast Asia. Follow along with today's episode over at DeadSetPodcasting.com. Okay, here we go. So I'm here with Kristen Meinzer, who's the author of So You Want to Start a Podcast, which people who listen to this show know that I'm pretty fussy on books about creativity and podcasting than I would actually ever recommend to somebody. Kristen's is one of the few that I think is it's essential reading, really, and I'm really happy to have her on here. She's been very patient. I've had some ankle problems, so I've had to push this back a few times, which I don't like doing to the guest. Maybe we can talk about some guest interviewer etiquette today, Kristen, as well, seeing as though you <laughs> pride yourself on being an incredible booker, and I would have read your bio earlier in the interview or in the episode just to get... It's a long list of things, and there was a lot of interviews in there, but do you mind if I share maybe? my favourite takeaway from the book, just so I don't forget.
1: (laughs) Oh, I would love that. That that would be an honour. Yes,
0: please. So, once again, folks, the book is called So You Want to Start a Podcast. But really, the book is as much about taking an idea that you have and making it something special, as opposed to just launching a show. So, it's not a launch book by any means. It's really a creativity-focused book. So, my favourite takeaway was basically this. Whether you've got a 30-person team or high production values, that doesn't always equal a great show. And neither does the we're loose, we're funny, my friend Dave's super hilarious in the basement. That also doesn't equal (laughs) a fantastic show. So can we maybe just set the table a little bit, Kristen, with what you yourself, with your myriad history of working on all these fantastic shows, what do you think is a great show? Like how do you know when you hear one?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, uh, a show that I love is... One where there is great structure, great companionship, and I know from the get go what the show is trying to do, why they're making it, and who it's for. And unfortunately, this is probably the, you know, as far as why are you making it and who is it for? Those seem like they should be pretty straightforward, but I would say most podcasters I've worked with over the years that I've mentored, that I've talked with, have never thought about those first two questions. Why am I making it? seems crazy. Who is it for? (laughs) I know, isn't it? And it's something we absolutely should know because how are we going to reach our audience? How are we going to build a community around our show if we don't know who it's for? If we don't know the why of why we're making it, we're not going to come back week after week after week, year after year, and keep making the show. And knowing those two things means our show is going to be more focused, it's going to be more energized, it's going to reach the people we want it to, and it's going to have a sense of meaning. Uh, we want it to mean something, right? It's not just, la I'm yammering on and on and on and on. Um, yammering on and on is great for your spouse or for your best friend, well, not always great for them, but you can do it with them, but why would a stranger want to listen to that? You know, yeah. you, you got to think about all the people listening, like guests at your party. Why are they at your party? Make sure you're inviting them in, making them feel welcome, making them feel like you're excited that they're there. And again, know why they're there and know who they are.
0: That's excellent. Probably a good place to finish the interview there. That was, <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> so, Kristen, do you mind if we just talk maybe a little bit about what are some... I guess you would call them, for the lack of a better term, poor answers to that why and who question? And maybe what are some of the better ones that you've heard come from people maybe recently or in the past where you're like, wow, that is a really good reason to make a show?
1: Yeah. So the answer I hear most often is everyone's doing it. I should start Ah. a podcast, right? Everyone's doing it. Isn't that what you do now? Everyone's doing it. And I don't think that's a good enough answer. It's not going to keep you motivated to come back week after week. And it doesn't speak at all to why you're you know, why you're going to talk about what you're going to talk about. Everyone's doing it doesn't give me any idea of what you're passionate about. Um, It doesn't give me any idea of why anybody would listen. Everyone's doing it. Eh, that's, <laughs> that's something that a teenager says to their parents about why they misbehaved. It's not really a good answer. But I hear that one a lot. I also hear, yeah, my friend Dave and I are really funny. I hear that all the time. Lately, I've been hearing quite a bit during the international global pandemic, I've been hearing people say, well, I'm bored. And I also think that that's not necessarily a good reason. I think it can be a good starting point. Okay. So you're bored. What makes you not bored? What are you most excited about? If you could see people again, what would you talk about all the time and why? What would make you not bored? I think we need to push back against the question of, boredom or push back against the question of everyone else is doing it and get to something deeper inside ourselves.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I completely agree. And one thing that I've come across in the last six months, I guess, since what you, you mentioned the pandemic, where in early September 2020, as people are listening to this, the inherent lack of understanding of how hard it is to make a great audio show mm-hmm. from people that have never done it before I mean, I by no means am great at this, but I've been making a lot of mistakes and stuffing up things for 10 years. So, even though maybe I haven't created a great show yet, I've created a lot of what you would consider bad ones. So, I know what, <laughs> I know what categorizes a bad show <laughs> and just, I don't know whether it's just that great shows and maybe the greater they are, the easier it looks to people. It does look like they're just talking you know, out of the side of their mouth with no effort whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. there's really no understanding from people. So someone at your level, I'm sure you're getting approached by people much more often than like I would be. Is there a lack of understanding out there too as to how hard it is?
1: Oh, absolutely. I I think it's kind of in the same vein as blogs back in the day. People said, oh, I can write a blog. I have a computer. I know how to type. I I, I have thoughts. I can just do it. And I think people think it's the same as that. But Honestly, it's a lot more work than typing a few sentences into a blog. You have to think about uh, structure, story. Again, back to that reason. Is your reason because you're trying to build a community around an issue? Is it because you want to have conversations with people that you admire? Is it because you want to talk about a popular issue from a perspective that's not normally considered. Like, let's say you are a queer person or a disabled person, and you don't think that there are enough TV or movie podcasts out there that are sharing your perspective. There can be a lot of reasons why you're doing it, but you need to go in with that reason. You need to then uh, put in all the work. So after you think about those things like story, structure, reason, audience, you have to put in the time to A show outline together. Some people put together very complicated scripts. You have to book your guests if you're going to have guests. You have to record and make sure that the audio quality is decent. You have to mix together the episode. You have to deal with things like volume changes, a really great episode of a show that you love. You probably never think about the fact that people speak at different volumes and there's volume spikes and there's whispers. And all of those things have to be balanced out. Then you have to think about how are you going to distribute the show? How are you going to monetize it if you are going to monetize it? How are you going to promote the show and reach the audience? How are you going to continue to develop the show so that people come back week after week after week? And I tell folks who are making shows for every one hour you spend taping the show, you're going to have to expect to spend at least four hours mixing and editing the show. And then, For those hours, you have to expect to spend at least twice as much promoting it and cross-promoting it and being on other shows and doing all those things to get the word out for your show if you actually want to build an audience. Because people don't just automatically show up. It's not like turning on the radio and they discover you. They have to find you because you push your show out there. So uh, I say minimum 10 hours a week for one show if you're going to make one, if you want to make a show that you're proud of and if you want to build an audience.
0: I've told people that same ratio before and I don't know whether it's because it's coming from me and I spent most of my life playing in progressive rock bands who are the most self-referential music genre of all time and everything we do is (laughs) hyper complicated and (laughs) <laughs> Everything takes time, and the the album cycles are fifteen years if you're tall, and all those things. like I don't know whether it's because of the source that people don't believe it's that time consuming or whether it doesn't sound as though there's that much work in great shows to people. I'm not sure, but do you mind if we just go quickly, Kristen, through some of the shows that you yourself has have done, which is partly why I love the book because oh, yeah. you're not someone that hasn't been on the mic or comes from a different industry that's now just applying general creative knowledge to podcasting. You've actually been in the trenches for a long time making shows and receiving criticisms and praise and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yes. I've received lots of both.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I think we we probably share something that bothered me early on. And from the book, I got a sense maybe still bothered you a tiny bit that people comment on your accent. I think your voice is fantastic, but-
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. But um, in the early days, people often said, oh, she does not have a voice for radio. She does not sound very smart. And you may not be able to hear it if you're an Australian, but here in the States, people can hear that I'm from the upper Midwest. I I can
0: hear it, yeah
1: you can hear it so there's this tv show called fargo that some people compare me to which was also a movie and they say oh you sound like you milk cows and maybe you didn't go to school are you so maybe you're not so smart (laughs) (laughs) um you certainly don't sound very sophisticated and so i got that early on from certain listeners they did not think that i sounded like somebody who should be taken seriously or be on a microphone and those were the early days and the longer i stuck with it the more i heard from people saying Oh, you talk like me. Everybody else sounds like they're from New York or LA. You sound like me and you make me feel more seen. And I love that you use certain figures of speech and turns of phrases that I understand. And I always like to say to people it doesn't matter if some people think your voice sounds idiotic. For every one person who's writing in to insult you, there are 10 people out there that are grateful that you are on the microphone. And you know, giving voice to somebody who sounds like them. You're making somebody feel more seen. So get out there and do it. Don't don't worry about your silly accent. At this point, my accent is more of an asset, even though in the beginning people thought it was horrible.
0: Well, that's exactly how I view my accent because I was really worried about it for a long time. And on the very first podcast I ever released, I interviewed a vocal coach from New York. Her name's Carrie Cole. And after the interview, she said, as far as Australians go, you're incredibly easy to understand and articulate, but I also love the tone of your voice. And I've always mm. been critical of my voice because I sound nothing like... Commercial radio, particularly, Christian, is still very powerful in New Zealand and Australia, and mm-hmm. there's a typical style of voice that people would have, and I don't have that. <laughs> but it all it took was just one bit of positive feedback from a person who deals in the voice for me just to move on from that and to realise, as long as people can understand what I'm saying, it actually is... a A point of difference straight away as soon as I speak.
1: But I also just want to say you're talking about commercial radio, but in podcasting, you're not trying to be a commercial. You're just trying to be companionship and you're trying to be someone's (laughs) audio company. You're you're not there to um, make an announcement. You're there (laughs) to have a conversation with people. And so the cadence of your voice, the warmth of your voice, all those things that you bring, that voice coach you interviewed, she's right. You sound great.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. that. That that wasn't about my own self-gratification there, but somehow it became <laughs> so. So, that's great. I, I couldn't have planned that any better. So, just with, I'm really fascinated by when Megan met Harry. One oh, big, how you came up with I the idea- I love it when
1: people ask me about that. Some people dismiss it as just a silly show I hosted, but well, I loved that show. I I've, loved that one. <laughs> I've got to be
0: honest. Most people that I know personally in Australia, maybe it's because we are still- We're not really governed by the monarchy, but we are still a Commonwealth country. We could not care less about what's happening in the royal family. It's not a a point of fascination for anyone under about 80 years old, as far as I know. But it's such a brilliant show idea. And the name is fantastic. Obviously, it has some pop culture reference there that's familiar. Can we just talk through your... You have this amazing chapter on format that I was hoping to spend most of today talking about. I think it's one of the best chapters of any book I've read on podcasting, full stop. Can we maybe take those concepts of your format ideas and apply them to how you came up with when Megan met Harry?
1: Yes. Yes. So when Megan met Harry, we launched um, the same week that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle formally announced that they were engaged. And it ran from the time they were engaged until the royal wedding itself when my co-host and i actually went to windsor and we attended the wedding and what happened was every it was amazing i mean i want to make clear we were not in the chapel we were (laughs) with we were with the masses on the lawn drinking champagne for 12 hours that's what we were doing but we were still there but the point of it was to be an unapologetic safe space for people who wanted to freak out about how great this wedding was. And this was a monumental event for the royal family, which has historically had a hand in spreading the transatlantic slave trade that has historically been very white, that let's be real, is incredibly inbred. They're all like cousins married to each other. Yeah. And then And that's to, being generous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And then for somebody who is black, who is divorced, who is American, who is extremely educated, who's already an ambassador, who's already a multimillionaire from her own TV career, who from the time she was 11 years old was an activist who was on TV, for them to get somebody like her in the family was contrary to everything the family had ever been like before. And we thought, how are we going to celebrate this while still shining a light on the fact that this is just also a, a royal watchers dream so we're gonna structure it this way every week we're going to have uh, three chapters in the show chapter one is all the latest headlines and we limited it usually to about five headlines and my co-host James Barr who by the way is a red-headed white guy who lives in the UK and me I'm a woman of color living in the US so we kind of in some ways sort of reflected what the couple was about we would go through the headlines and then chapter two of the show, was a deep dive. And the deep dive changed from week to week. Maybe it was about the history of divorce in the royal family. Maybe it was about whole investigation into what fascinators are. Why do royal people wear them? What are they for? Uh, or maybe it was an investigation into the whole history of people in the royal family and actresses, because there was a long history of people in the royal family having um, relationships, we'll call them, with actresses. So that was chapter two. So. Headlines chapter one, deep dive is chapter two, and then chapter three of the show was always our royal prediction of the week, our royal wedding prediction. And we would predict something that would happen on the day of the wedding. And, you know, maybe it would be the designer of the dress that Megan would wear. Maybe it would be somebody who would be attending the wedding. Maybe it would be one of my predictions was that Pippa Middleton would be there and she would be pregnant. At the time, nobody knew she was pregnant, but I predicted she would be pregnant and she was at the wedding. <laughs> and we took all of our predictions leading up to the wedding and turned that into a bingo board so that anybody listening to the show could print out a bingo board with all of our predictions and then check them off on the wedding day itself. And listeners all over the world watching the wedding, downloaded the bingo board and then took pictures and sent them to us like, look, here I am. I'm doing the bingo board with you. And uh, James and I were doing live dispatches from the royal wedding that our producer back in the States was compiling into a podcast that day. So it was a very exciting wedding day itself for us on the ground and for the listeners. And everything that we did not only had shape and structure, it had a grand finale final purpose with those bingo boards. So That's one way to make your structure both predictable and surprising because a little bit of predictable is good for listeners. They don't want to just feel like they got dropped in the middle of a jungle and they don't know which direction to go. They want to feel like, oh, I know where I got dropped. I got dropped off at a beautiful little bungalow next to the elephant pond. That's where I am in the jungle. And next after this, I'm going to take a Jeep and we're going to drive down the road and see a hippopotamus. Listeners want to know those things. They also want to know who you are. You'd be surprised how many podcasters open their show without ever telling you who they are or what the name of the show is. I see this all the time, especially with newbies. It's just, Jeff, so what's up with you? Oh, you know, (laughs) same old, same old. And it's like, well, I know one person's name is Jeff because I just heard the name Jeff, but I don't know the other person's name. I don't know what the show is. I don't know what they're talking about. They have not given me a table of contents. I'm a big fan of the table of contents, which at the top of the show, if there are different sections, you can say. As a reminder, each week on the show, first we talk about A, and then we talk about B, and our final segment is always with an uh, interview guest. Today, our guest is going to be, so if you do that table of contents at the top, listeners know, oh, there's something exciting to stick around for. Oh, I know the lay of the land. I know what's going to come up next, and I'm excited for it. So I highly recommend consider uh, having a table of contents after the introductions, and then definitely think about show structure. If it's just a bunch of messy talking, it can feel really alienating for listeners.
0: It's fascinating to hear that for people that do go and listen to the book, or I've, I've listened, I think, three times to the book. I haven't actually read the book. So, that's why I'm avoiding oh. giving Kristen's co-host names in case I write them down correctly and then mispronounce them. So, <laughs> the, just to apply some level of structure, the way that it's framed in the book is it actually allows you to be more free, not, con- not more constrained like it might sound to someone when they first hear that putting all this planning into structure, it may feel like it's going to compress how broad the show can be or how enjoyable it can be. I've actually applied this since reading the book to a show that I do that's a local show called Punching Sideways. And the format that w- myself and my co-host Melanie have run with is at the start, Basically doing what I'm calling like a donut. We have a little bit at the start where we talk. We basically record that before the guest gets there. And whoever booked the guest, who's, I guess, for the, at that particular moment, more interested in the person than what the other co-host is, explains why that person is on the show. Then we might share a funny story from the week because my co-host, Melanie, particularly, she's like a walking anecdote. It's incredible, the things that she gets herself into. So we have one of those. <laughs> then we cut to the interview, and one thing we do do is tease something that we're hoping to get out of the interview. That mm. quite often, if we don't get there, we then cover that in the donut at the end, because sometimes wow. we think we're going to have we think we're going to have an interview that goes down one path, but as you listen throughout it, you hear both the interview maybe change direction, but also our reaction to that, which we record after the guest leaves, and. It's the first time I've applied any level of format to a show, but it's part of what people are responding to. And one thing we're getting is I love the bits where it's just you and Mel, and then by the end you've changed your mind, or maybe one of you liked the guest for one reason and you weren't expecting to. All those things are format based; they're not just things we accidentally did. <laughs> and it's, it's really <laughs> helping. And I I literally started doing that from reading the book of yours, Kristen.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so glad to hear it. People love format if they're listening. And yes, it's definitely easier to make a show if you have a format. And just one other comparison here. Imagine if you're trying to arrange a bunch of furniture in a giant empty warehouse that has no walls. Now imagine instead the warehouse is broken up into six rooms. It's easier to arrange the furniture and there's so much freedom in what you can do in each room. That's kind of how I like to think about having a format for a show.
0: That's a pretty strong analogy. I like that one. So, do you, just with the format thing, maybe going really direct into what independent shows can take away from things like format and from your book more generally? One thing that I did find challenging at times with, say, the format chapter, this is something I guess I picked up over re- multiple readings, is that the way that you present the format makes complete sense to me, having recently executed a format change and I stepped through your process. But you did also mention in the book that it took yourself and two highly qualified managers to help you establish some of those formats. So, obviously, you were operating at a very high level and the shows had to come out of the gate incredibly strong. So, that makes sense. But how would someone that doesn't have access to even more experienced people, how would they go about establishing a format?
1: Well, just- just keep in mind, it doesn't have to be super complicated. So the show you're talking about that required a whole team to help us come up with the format is called By the Book. And on that show, my co-host, Jolenta, and I live by the rules of a different self-help book in each episode. And we record ourselves at work, at home, with our husbands. And it's an audio reality show where you hear how each book enhances or destroys our lives. (laughs) But we weren't really sure How do we explain what each book is about? At what point do we actually just share the audio? At what point do we interject and narrate? And so we um, had to do... one version, and then another version, and then another version. We kept on getting feedback, and we did it over and over again until we came up with a snappy enough format where we knew we spend only six minutes at the top introducing the book, laying out the rules, giving the bio of the author. We spend this much time on Jolenta's week one, this time on my week one, then this much time on Jolenta's week two, this much time on my week two, and then this much time on the conclusion but it took a lot of experimenting because we need to make sure we have enough momentum. At what point are people starting to get bored? If they're starting to get bored, our format isn't working. And it can be really challenging to make a reality show in audio form. Other people have tried to do it and it can just sound like cinema verite, which is like the camera is rolling and it's just somebody peeling potatoes. And unfortunately, a lot of attempts at audio reality shows, that's what they sound like, but you really have to shape the format but not all shows are that complicated. For example, I also host a show called Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen, and it's just a three-part advice show. Uh, Chapter one of the show, somebody writes in, they have a conundrum, uh, dear Rafer and Kristen, I hate my kids, being trapped in the house with them during COVID makes me want to run away, tell me what to do. And then Rafer and I come up with a some words of advice, and then we give them a movie prescription. Hey, watch Freaky Friday. You'll see what it's like to maybe be in your kids' shoes, and they'll see what it's like to be in your shoes, and now we're going to take a break. And then the next letter comes in with another conundrum, and then another break, and then the final letter of the week. So the format doesn't have to be complicated. That's probably the simplest format there is. Section one, there's a letter we answer. Section two, there's a letter we answer. Section three, there's a letter we answer at the end. So easy. We came up with a format and started making the show the same week. And two weeks later, we launched the show. That was it. Every format doesn't have to be hard. And one place you can go to get inspiration for formats is TV. Uh, I love looking at TV for inspiration. Is there a talk show format you like? You can just copy that. Is there a video game format you like? Uh, There are so many places to look for formats if you want to. And so I, I don't want people to get freaked out like, oh, it's too hard to come up with a format. You can you can just make it a five-question format. Every week we have a guest, a different guest, and we ask them just five questions about their job. Or you could make it a a top three list. These are the top three things I watched on TV this week. It it doesn't have to be that complicated. So (laughs) trust me when I say you can do it. Format doesn't have to be hard.
0: By no means was I trying to imply that it was sounding overcomplicated or that part of the process requires all these external sources of You know (laughs) feedback but it's just something that hit me on the first or second listen that okay there's got to be a way that I can get Kristen if I get her on the show to explain that little bit because there is a bit of a disconnect in my mind because I don't have access to these genius people (laughs) so (laughs) do you mind if I ask a question this might seem a little bit of a tangent but that's kind of how the show works just to finish up I'd love to know which people who know me know that I've read literally hundreds of business books and Self development, and I don't like much of it at all. I think the more the older I get, the less I like it for some reason. Maybe I'm just getting grumpy. But have you ever read a book called Too Soon Old, Too Late Smart?
1: No, but it sounds terrible. Am I wrong? Is it actually good?
0: It's (laughs) probably the best. I guess it doesn't really really fit self development so much because he's not outlying. Like, there's no plan and there's no thing to follow. It's not that kind of thing.
1: The only reason I think it sounds terrible is because I don't understand the title. Too soon old, too young, what? (laughs) So
0: it's too soon old, too too late smart. So basically he's saying that it's a shame that people have to live their whole lives to learn lessons (laughs) that would have helped throughout their life, I guess.
1: Uh, Ah, got it. So maybe the book doesn't sound terrible. Maybe I just can't follow the book, but you, you really like this book.
0: It's exceptional and... I think I've probably read it twice and listened to it twice. and Wow. It's not really self-development though, but I just think maybe it's self-development adjacent and you might like it okay. just generally <laughs> if you happen to be in those books. But is there one that you actually were surprised that you enjoyed or found really valuable?
1: Oh, wow. Well, I've read a lot of terrible self-help books. So, <laughs> um, full disclosure, if you tell me the title of a self-help book and I say, Ugh, It might also have to do with self-help book fatigue from living by over 50 of them. Now, I would Um, be
0: right in your camp (laughs) making that noise.
1: (laughs) But one book I really liked was Why Good Things Happen to Good People. And it's just a book about the science and the research that's been done about how happiness has a relationship with our kindness in the world and uh, the endorphin rush that we get from just doing small acts of good things for other people and that self-help shouldn't just be navel-gazing and looking at ourselves. A lot of the things that make us unhappy are made better when we go out in the world and fix them and when we do good things. So that's the kind of self-help I like. I I get a little bit tired of the self-help books that are just Look inside yourself. Look inside yourself. <laughs> think about think about your childhood. And I'm not saying that's not important. I spent years in and out of therapy talking about those things. Those are valid important things. But sometimes the things that are making us saddest are going to be fixed not by just obsessing about our own problems, but by going out into the world and making the world a better place. And so I'm I'm in favor of any book like that. So Why Good Things Happen to Good People, A Girl's Guide to Joining the Resistance, uh, So You Want to Talk About Race, all of these books that have us looking outward rather than just inward, I think, make such a huge difference in the world. And I've been made happier by them. So I recommend Uh, those kinds of books.
0: That's excellent. And that just reminded me of a book called The Last Lecture by Randy Pausch. I don't know whether you've happened to have read that, but that book is very Mm -hmm. much about living for other people and bringing joy to other people when maybe you're in a very dark place yourself. He was a very unwell man and mm-hmm. he spent the last portion of his life bringing a lot of joy to people as his way mm. of dealing with that. So that's another good one. I guess we just went on the self-development little detour there. So, <laughs> Okay, speaking of books, I know Kristen has another book in the works that maybe relates directly to the podcast or to a podcast. So can yes. we maybe just finish up talking about that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it just came out during the pandemic. It's called How to Be Fine, What We Learned from Living by the Rules of 50 Self-Help Books. And Jolenta Greenberg, my co-host for By the Book, she and I uh, wrote the book together and we broke it up into three sections. What actually worked, what didn't work, and what we wish more self-help books would actually talk about. And the book is for fans of the show, but it's also for people who are just curious about self-help. And if it's not already clear, I will just say this. I am definitely a self-help skeptic. Jolenta loves self-help. So we come at it from two completely different angles. So the things that she says may contradict what I say and vice versa, but they also are more than anything personal essays about how we live, how we've been affected by things. And some of what we talk about we've discussed on the show. Some of what we talk about has never been discussed on the show. So even people who listen to the show will get something new out of it. And people who've never listened to the show, we hope will still enjoy it and maybe learn a little bit about themselves, learn about the self-help industry, uh, the self-help industrial complex, as I call it. And (laughs) um, maybe even walk away with a few tools of like, oh, this would actually make my life a little bit better.
0: Excellent. It sounds like an amazing book and I love the title. And was part of your podcasting genius, Kristen, just to finish up, was it just you're intentionally picking co-hosts with beautiful names? Like every single <laughs> co-host you have just has this incredible name that's so memorable but unique. I think you might have that might have been intentional, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh yes. I will yeah. only co-host with people with great names. So yeah. yeah. Go go down to your city office, file some paperwork to change your name and And make it really interesting, and then maybe I will reach out and ask you to be my co-host. All of you listening. (laughs)
0: Okay. (laughs) Well, that's that's the best piece of advice I've heard in a long time. So,
1: okay. Well, thank you,
0: Kristen. I love the book. It's part of a very select group of books that I think are worth people's time, and I would encourage everybody to read the book. It's not a very heavy lift. It's a pretty quick book to read. Read it multiple times because it it's actually to me like a great album. It it kinda of slowly releases it what it has to give you over multiple listens. I don't think you can get as much out of it on one listen or one read as you could maybe after two or three. So that's my encouragement. I know not everyone has time for that, but let's be honest, we're probably all just sitting around at the moment. So, <laughs> Excellent.
1: Well, thank you so much, Josh. This has been so much fun.
0: Excellent. And hopefully we can speak in the future when I don't have an ankle appointment. That would be great. Yes, <laughs> okay.
1: yes right let's on. do it.
0: Okay, take care. Thank you, Kristen. And thanks everybody thank for listening. You. Okay, bye-bye. This episode was edited by Dead Set Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.